You have downloaded an enhanced version of Gareth Jones on Speed. You can view the images on your computer or your iPod. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed, which isn't Gareth Jones on Speed this time, is it, fellas? No, fellas, they said in unison. Why do I do this every time? I, I expect you to say things, but well, you don't Well, it'd be do. fine. It was just the, the hand puppets confused us. <laughs> I think you've basically replaced us. That's Richard Porter, and to my left, or if you're listening on an iPod and you've got the headphones the wrong way around, to my right, Zog. Although this is my isn't it? Um, we better explain. Richard, you've been off around the world, haven't you, looking at cars. So this is not Gareth Jones on speed per se, but um, uh, Richard Porter around the world in how many cars? About seven and a half, I think. I don't know. That's close enough. It was going to be 80, but I couldn't think of 80 cars. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us where you've been then. You started off by going to the untied States of America? The untied States? Yes, the untied States of America. They're not united, are they? Oh, right, I see what yeah. you mean. Uh, yeah, I went to... Uh, I, basically, I'd, I'd just been on holiday, so um, just be thankful that you're not being made to sit through my photos. But I went to the US, I went to the west coast of the US, and then I went down to Australia, and then I went to Japan. <sighs> Who get me with my fancy holiday? Well done. And as you're a sad motoring geek like Zog, I think we all are here. And me, and anyone perhaps listening to this show, I want to know in some detail about some of the interesting motor vehicles that you found in foreign markets. I can't imagine anything more pervy. Now, you had a rental car in America, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a sort of rental car, but it was kind of uh, a rental car that um, was rented in the sense of being borrowed off Ford. That's uh, the f free rental car. I like that kind of arrangement. Yeah, I was right. trying to avoid the word free, but yes, it was free. Um, uh, yeah, someone at the Ford did me a favour. So I had a Mustang GT. Oh! Coupe. Nice. Oh. With a stick shift as well. Wow, that's rare. I know. So what was the engine? Uh, it's the 4.6 litre V8. It's about 300 horsepower uh, with a five-speed stick on it. Mm. And nice motor there, It's an amazing Richard. number of Americans who... who, uh, who they get in it and, and go, how are you getting on with the stick? Because <laughs> the idea of, of driving a manual car is pretty unusual. It is, yeah. Particularly in Los Angeles. And yeah. um, well, you can see why, because the traffic's pretty bad. And there were times when that Stang had a fairly heavy clutch on it and a heavy gear change, and actually it was a bit that of That what, pain. Richard? Stang. OK. That's uh, what we call it in the it's business. Native. In the business of getting a free car. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's really irritating. Uh, so what mileage were you getting? Did you do any calculations on the fuel? No, I had a computer and it was regularly doing about 18, which I know is a US gallon, but that's still, you know, even on a... You know, we, we drove across to uh, uh, Phoenix in Arizona and then up to Grand Canyon in Las Vegas, and so it's all long straight roads. Done it myself. Road trip, dude. And, yeah, even on the open highway with the cruise on, it was doing 18 to the gallon. It just sucks down juice. <laughs> this is the interesting thing about the Mustang. This is car one that I wanted to talk about because technically that Mustang is quite crap. It's the engine is weak. It it's doesn't got a feel. Lovely badge on the front. It has got a fabulous badge on the front, and uh, it was like is it, you know Americans really like model years, and the model year always sort of like yeah. the, the 2009 model year is going to come out next month. They seem mm -hmm. to get further and further ahead of themselves. So this, I guess, was a was a 2008 Mustang. Uh, in this sort of very deep red, with this new style of alloys they put on it, big five-spoke alloys, not retro, quite modern alloys, but really suited the car. Mm -hmm. Big ones, like, uh, I think they were 18s or 19s, maybe. Hang on, hang on. 
and uh, towel for Mr. Jones. And um, the number of people who would just come up and be like, "Nice car, man, nice car," but they'd always be like, "Is it the 2008?" Uh, uh, yeah, I think so. Does that make a difference? But it looked fantastic, and we stayed uh, in quite a, a fancy hotel in um, in Hollywood. <laughs> who get me again? Uh, when we came, <laughs> oh back come to on, LA. we've all done it, darling. <laughs> and so uh, we we pulled up uh, at the hotel, and you know they valet park it and stuff, and the and the parking lot out the front of the hotel had some really nice cars in it, like sort of brand new uh, Merc. CL and um, one day there was a Rolls Phantom there and stuff so you know oh, proper nice cars yeah. but the valet and well two of the valets they were like whoa awesome car you know they really loved the Mustang they wanted to park that car yeah, yeah. even when they sort of got stick shift I was just thinking oh god they're going to stuff it through a wall because you know I guess they don't get a lot of stick cars coming through oh, but, well, but the Americans just love the Stang yeah. it touches yeah. a part I was about to say that the yeah. American psyche yeah. it just makes all their nerves tingle and it's just it's one of the motoring icons so here's the thing it's not a very good car the engine is weaker than it, it should be it's got this very agricultural gear change on it. You can the the drivetrain in a way that I haven't driven a car that does this for years. The thumps and bangs and sort of grinds. You can hear mm. sort of torque moving underneath you through the prop shaft. Mm. At speed, the bonnet wobbles mm. in a really unsettling way. It's only because I've driven a Mustang before in this country that I, I knew they all do that, sir. <laughs> but the, the, the other thing is, it doesn't really handle especially it sort of goes round corners and this one had this brilliant option package uh, that had a limited slip diff on it and I thought oh you know yelp as you're coming out of uh, rap round well they all do that as well because you know like American uh, tyres are sort of last for 100,000 miles so they're, they're made of marble <laughs> so even at sort of two miles an hour in a car park it's like you were in a cop show from the 70s. It rains in California, everyone crashes. Yes, this happened. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. happened. Yeah. On the way back to LA, mm -hmm. it sluiced it down. Yeah. We stopped in this little town where it had uh, the world's biggest thermometer. I love all that. <laughs> I'm not joking. And a shop. Admit it, you went, you went, oh, you went out of your way to find Yeah, yeah we did. We pulled off because we needed to, well, we didn't really need to get some petrol, but we thought we'll go and see the biggest thermometer in the world. <laughs> Bit of a disappointment. Uh, but they also had a, a shop called Alien Jerky because it was on the edge of Nevada, so they're milking the whole Area 51 type thing. And then it started to rain as we headed off on the freeway and we got into LA and it was absolutely sluicing it down. And I was looking at this Toyota SUV in my mirror mm. and it was really raining, proper wipers on regular speed. And this guy seemed to use his wipers about once every five minutes as if he didn't know how the control worked because mm. he never owned that car when it had rained. And when we got into LA and people were all over, the, the driving honestly goes to pot. It's unbelievable how it just because I guess it's such a rare occurrence that I didn't actually see an accident. I just saw lots of near accidents and lots of people who were still sort of trying to work out where the headlight control was because they don't normally drive in the dark. It was just I've driven. It, it was like obvious there was going to, there were going to be some accidents. Yeah, somewhere. it was. It was a kind of relief to get off the road. It was that kind of feeling. I've driven a lot in the United States, especially in California, and ridden motorbikes. Mm. And there there are two things I always say about driving in California. That first of all, driving in California is very easy. You slot into the system. Mm. You don't really need to think. You come to a junction where there's any doubt if it's no entry. It says, stop, wrong way, not yeah, this yeah. way, some other way, but not this one. Come yeah. on, how it? Yeah, we get a very message. well planned traffic yeah. system. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. kind of like plugging into the conveyor belt with your coffee in your automatic car, and it gets you places. It's a mass transit system that moves very slowly and very steadily, but it does tend to move. And the other thing is, you're going to have an accident because <laughs> of this relaxed <laughs> I don't attitude. Like the of this. Yeah. Yeah, because Everyone's on their cell phone as well. Yeah, they're on the phone, they're drinking their coffee, they don't have to think 
think about the driving because the, the system is taking care yeah. of it. That's very America, and, and I mean that in a good way, please. Uh, uh, but because of the devolved responsibility and slam into things, mm. I've, I've been involved in, I think, three accidents in America. Really? Of which, yeah, yeah, of which none were my fault, and I swear it's occasionally my fault, but um, it, it does happen. But it's a great joy if you've got something like a Mustang. And I just want to come back to something you said there yeah. about uh, America wants to like the Mustang. America believes in the Mustang. It's, a, it's Americana in a time when America needs Americana. It needs to believe in itself yeah. because of its world mm-hmm. position. And Ford have taken an awful lot of stick for doing retro cars at the moment. You know, yeah. the Ford GT. Well, well the you know, at the Detroit yeah. show, they announced the new, um, yeah, uh, the, yeah. Uh, the new F-150 pickup. Best-selling yeah. car in the world. So, yeah, you know, yeah. Crucially, yeah. get it right. It just looks like an update of the old one, but in one way, it's spectacularly retro because it still has a leaf spring rear axle. There you go. So you know that's fine with America. You know, America likes. We we think, what are you doing, Ford? But no, it was a smart move at a smart time. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I I I'm very passionate about the Mustang. I've driven Mustangs in in America as well, and chosen one because that's what the astronauts used to drive in Florida. So <laughs> when I was making a film about astronauts in Florida, I needed a Mustang. You know, it, and I think that's a, American. America loves Americana. Imagine this, you know, the rest of the world loves Americana. Yeah. So imagine how much America loves it. Yeah, it's its own. That's my last thoughts on America. I want to talk about your next part of the trip. Anything well, more you want to mention say, about America? Yeah, America? Well, two things. First of all, I was going to say the Mustang was technically rubbish, and yet somehow I loved it. And I think that's the other thing about it, that like uh, an old cowboy movie or something like that, technically it might not be very good, but it is so drenched in charisma that somehow it's impossible not to like it. And I, uh, I think that's, you know, that Chevy Camaro's coming yeah. next year. Yeah. Which is an interesting car. Two reasons. First of all, while I was in the States, Bob Lutz, the, uh, the, the boss of the product boss of GM, who's like 120 or something. And, mm-hmm. and he issued a decree that from now on, the Camaro was going to be uh, I think tested. it's called a Bill of Rights, I think they call it, yeah. <laughs> but he said the, the Camaro is going to be tested with no camouflage on anymore because they're they just sick of it. people trying to take photos of it, and mm. it's ridiculous. So that's it. And they actually took some photos of a prototype with no disguise on it at their test track and issued them to the press to go, look, there you are, guys, now get lost. Stop bugging <laughs> our test tracks. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing. Some of the Camaro testing is being done in Australia uh, because... It's on the uh, Holden Commodore platform, which is GM's global rear-wheel drive chassis for the future, but was designed by Holden in Melbourne. So uh, some of the development is, do- is being done down there. Prototypes have been, have been spotted in the Australian desert. Now, this leads to an interesting thing. That means they could make that car in right-hand drive, which means it could come here, a unlike Camaro. the Mustang. <sighs> the is biggest there... expense would be tooling up in right-hand drive dashboard. But would there be a market that? for that big car? Well, not that, I don't not... know. But this is the thing, you see, like you were saying about we're a lover of Americana. Mm. But what I think is interesting is that when those guys are developing that Camaro in Australia, in America, whatever, what they've got to do if they want to beat the Mustang is not just give it retro styling and make it drive well. They've got to actually somehow give it that big-hearted charisma that the Mustang has got. Yeah. Probably the hardest thing to synthesise in the world. Well, it's a very, to, it's a very get... tricky thing to synthesise. Yeah, it's, a, it's an intangible thing, something very hard to define. I suspect you know, the, the, the biggest danger for them doing the Camaro is they might accidentally make it too good. If the Mustang was really good, I don't think it would be as lovable. 
if that makes sense. The only way that Chevy could give the Camaro the same cachet as Ford have given the Mustang is if Chevrolet, along with trying to design electric cars, which will go a 1,000 miles at 100 mile per hour, managed to come up with a time machine and went back in time and got Paul Newman or Steve McQueen to drive hmm. one of their cars in the 60s, because that's what the Mustang... Well, actually, Ford managed that with a Puma and that yeah. advert, didn't they? So Clever. just a bit of digital television. And my final irony to wrap up your talk about America there, that America loves Americana, they love the Camaro, they can't wait to have it. Who's going to tell them it's actually an Australian car? Not me. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome on the stage Springsteen Whites. There's a boulevard of broken windshields with stars and stripes Names like Speed and Pretty Junior Are a list as long as the lap of Vegas Where the drag strip heroes Of the 50s and the 70s Like the train with crossbite tires And the cars that found their buyers Looking like they're on fire With a flame painted down the sky Red, white and yellow There's a factory in Detroit That is broken, cold and empty Where the lines lie idle And the teamsters ain't like a Catholic love communion Yet the streets still roar with thunder The storm of just thunder GT40 Dodge Avenger This is Gareth Jones on Richard Porter on 80 cars in 8 days speed or whatever. What's it called? I don't know that. Um, ri- okay. What I did on my holidays by Richard Porter, uh, age 32 and 3 quarters. So after your nice big American journey, you then got in one of those newfangled aeroplane machines and flew to where? Uh, to um, a little part of the Commonwealth called Australia. I've heard I think of that's this how you place. It. Yeah, Australia. Yeah. yeah, it was made famous by the Manic Street Preachers, I believe. Uh, yeah. Yes, and Paul Hogan. Yeah, that was it. You know who that was? Eastwood. (laughs) (laughs) Now, hang on. I I don't know a great deal about Australian cars. I have been to Australia. I spent seven days there uh, a couple of years ago. That's about it. I did fancy a Lonsdale estate a long time ago for me dad, which was an Australian-built Mitsubishi. Yeah. But cars in Australia, they're big and in some ways as crude if not cruder than a lot of American cars and I don't mean crude I mean intermediate technology no 
<laughs> They've got well, huge right. suspension travel, haven't Here's they? Big the wheels. Yes, yes, yes. Quite a few people make cars in Australia. Uh, Toyota yep. make the Camry over there, yep. and it's redesigned for Australia, so it's a bit tougher because the roads in the outback are uh, a lot more demanding than, say, the roads in downtown Osaka. And Mitsubishi have a factory there. They make a car called the Magna. My brother has one of the old generation ones. He lives in Sydney at the moment, which is a big sort of... Uh, it's it's like San Francisco. Uh, what, Sydney? I thought you meant the car. No, Sydney. <laughs> Where are you going with that? Sydney's like driving in San Francisco. That's what That was very similar. In um, what way? It's pretty hilly. Really? The traffic system is fairly well organised. Yeah, it is very well organised. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like Sydney a lot. I think it's a yeah. fantastic city. But um, the big... Australian car fight is between the Ford Falcon and the Holden Commodore yeah, and their relative derivatives. Now, the Falcon is pretty old school now, as I understand it, because that basic chassis has been going along for a while. There's a new one coming out this year, which has been codenamed Orion, but it is just a reshell of the existing car. Holden fans are laughing up their sleeves about this because the Commodore was uh, replaced, what, when did that come out? To two years ago? Or like yeah. Years back. Uh, and that was a brand new car. It was the first time the Holden Commodore had been designed from scratch in Australia by Australians uh, and it's a source of great pride and what's funny is the rest of the Holden range is basically just rebadged uh, Vauxhall Astras and Vectras and they've got some of the sort of Deu Chevy type stuff from Korea yeah. with the Holden badge slapped on it and it's almost as if Holden sells this stuff with a kind of heavy heart because it knows that if they sell it'll pay for them to do what they really want to do which is their great big four-door saloon that they've now engineered themselves for the first time rather than sort of having to use proprietary bits from um, European Opals and things like that that. Mm. And it is a fantastic looking car. We have it here mm. as the VXRA, yeah. as a Vauxhall. Yeah. But that is the tip of a fabulous rear wheel drive, big bargy saloon iceberg. Because over there, that is the sort of uh, sports tunes tuned by HSV, uh, HSV? HSBC. HSBC. Yeah. HSBC. Yeah. International Banking and Motor Racing Corporation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, HSBC holding special vehicles with Tom Walkinshaw. I was about to say that. Yeah. yeah so, but but the, the regular, the bog standard Commodore, which you see around all the time, is a very very handsome car and then you've got on top of that you've got the sort of the, the uh, I think it's called the SS is the sort of tuned version which looks terrific as well mm. and then they've got these bigger luxury versions of it uh, called the Statesman the Calais and the Caprice and the, the, the particularly the big one I think it's the Caprice long wheelbase one and you look at older Aussie built cars mm -hmm. when they did the long wheelbase ones which they use as posh taxis they clearly gone right let's stretch the wheelbase ah. Now the doors don't fit. <laughs> so where the, the curve of the back door, where it would have gone around the wheel arch, uh, the, there's an, actually an extra bit of metal and then the wheel arch. And it looks really, really clunky. But this new Holden, because they've designed it from scratch, the, even the long wheelbase one is a really, really handsome car. And it's got, this, it's got the big um, Chevy V8 in it. And it is just, I just looked at it. And went, that's the I same really engine that's in the Corvette, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, same yeah. family, yeah, small yeah. block Chevy. It's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty nice engine in a kind of, you know, lazy old school way. But then we love V8s like that. So, yeah, they're just, it's a great looking family of cars. And I can see why yeah, Aussies are really, really proud of that because GM gave them money to do it. And then they're going to use the rear drive chassis to do, as we were talking before, the Chevy Camaro in the States and, and God knows what else. But it is, it's a fantastic looking car, and I wish I'd had a go in one, but I didn't. I, I rented a Toyota Camry, uh, which was um, 
very quiet. Yeah, they are. We had one when I was in Australia. Yeah, unnervingly quiet. Mm. Are, we, are we moving? It's hard yeah. to tell. Is it started? Yeah. yeah. Are we going? That's a good thing. Things like VWs are pretty expensive in Australia because, you know, they've got to travel quite a long way to get there. But it is, they're sold on their Germanicness. Mm. And uh, my brother was telling me that the Fiesta is sold on exactly the same tip. This is a European Ford uh-huh. from Germany, so they're trying to sell it that way. I think I saw two in the whole time I was there, so I don't think it's 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 done so well. They even sell the the Ka, or Ka there, uh-huh. and I think I saw one of those. It's, it's probably a, a South American one though, rather than the, uh, the one no, that's no, Brazil, the Euro European one, one because it had the the Brazilian one now has got a different back end. It has, that's right. Stuff. Yeah. No, these are Euro Euro Ka. They bring in all this stuff from Europe because they have to. You see the odd American Ford, you'll see uh, a Mustang there. Yeah, occasionally it's technically illegal to have a left-hand drive car in australia and when the car companies ship stuff over there to go and test it in the northern territory it's great Uh, you can you can drive across the desert quite quickly um if it's left-hand drive they have to stick left-hand drive in big letters across the back uh another interesting thing uh, some australian law about where the speedometer has to be in the car means that the new mini when it's sold over there the big speedo in the center of the dash is illegal it's outside of the line of sight by australian laws so that becomes the rev counter so australian minis oh. have this huge comedy Ooh. rev counter in the dashboard <laughs> and a tiny like little speedo yeah. on top of the wheel it's really yeah. funny yeah, i want an australian mini yeah mini with a big rev counter yeah. right it's uh so if, uh, yeah, if, if you buy a Mini in the UK and it's got a massive rev counter, you know that someone's brought it in from Australia for some unfathomable reason. But, uh, yeah, you see a few of those around, which, considering they've got a hell of a long trip to go from Oxford to, yeah. to Australia, it's a long boat ride. Didn't see any Mini Mokes out there. I did. I saw one. Did you? I saw one in downtown Aww. Sydney, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, they it was live out in the Commonwealth now. Yeah, yeah they, they basically. Do, yeah, just, yeah, <laughs> I mean that. You know, get a Barbados or get yourself a Mini Moke. I was like, oh, that's a Mini Moke. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's just, yeah. That's nice. something warms your heart. You, you didn't see any... Cars. You didn't see any Austin Rovers of, uh, of the 1970s beetling around. You see the odd Morris Oxford or the... Do you remember the mm. Austin America? Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see those sort of things out there. I didn't. I saw quite a few Rover 75s. Yeah? Um, oh, wow. Which is which it's interesting. Is yeah, yeah. In fact, including uh, one that looked really cool, parked at the curb in Sydney, black, really shiny, in, in the late afternoon sunshine, looking brilliant, parked outside the Church of Scientology in Sydney, which was, uh, I don't know. Warriors Tom Cruise. Yeah, Tom Cruise has dropped by in his Rover. He does enjoy good ride quality. That's um, so, overall, Australia, of the three nations you've visited in terms of how interesting the cars are it's not the most interesting australia is it uh no because i suppose what's interesting about when i went to the us and when i went to japan is sort of soaking up all the stuff that's made by the indigenous car industry and and because really in australia that is just holden and and the ford falcon uh it's not it's not so interesting i'll say the other hot car out there is a sort of this crossover thing based i call the territory based on the falcon which looks like exactly like you'd imagine sort of generic ford Crossover, to very look. upright. Yeah, but neat, really yeah, neat looking yeah. car. But you see them all over Love. the place. Quite, quite popular. Yeah, not quite as big as a as a Range Rover. Not as tall as a Range Rover. Not as low as a sedan. Mm, it's somewhere. Yeah, that's it's a good some 1950s. But size. you know, so there's not a lot of indigenous cars in Australia, uh, unlike spiders and snakes and scary <laughs> things. But, but I tell you what, that Holden Commodore. I tell you what, that uh, for me is is everything they needed to have done. It's a hell of a good looking car. I gather that it drives brilliantly, and uh, yeah, uh, jobs are good. Un- Nice one, mate. Or as they say in Australia, uh, what a very reasonable motor car. (laughs) (laughs) What, mate? Here's our new luxury sedan. We're going to call it the Calais. Bruce? No, the Calais. How's it spelt? 
B. Oh, you're right. It's Bruce. Ripper, mate. Okay, here's our next upscale model. Uh, marketing want to call it the Statesman. Frankly, I find that a little impersonal. You're right. What about Bruce? Yeah, that's a much better idea. Bruce it is. Now, finally, this is our real top-of-the-range model, the Caprice. The what? Shouldn't we just call it Bruce to keep things clear? Yeah, that's a great idea, mate. So, which is your favourite? I like the Bruce. Me too. Looks like they were done it on the sherry. <laughs> <laughs> And so our journey around the Earth brings us to Japan, the exotic East, the Orient, where cars are absolutely brilliant, aren't they, Richard? Yeah, the cars in Japan are nuts. It's like walking down the street is, is basically just an exercise in colliding with a lamppost every 15 yards. Because <laughs> there's so much stuff there, you're like, why is that? What the? Yeah. Why? The, but that's a, uh, just stuff you recognise, but at the same time you don't, because it's got a different nose on it, and then uh, the, the stuff you just don't recognise at all. Some of them which looks like a, and stuff. Yeah, like those K cars, which which some of them are, are brilliantly bonkers. Yes. The, the Topo BJ being one of them. My favourite name, Japanese car. What's the Topo BJ? It's something that Violet and I used to get up to when I was called yeah, Gas Tom. I, I don't like know. I, uh, no, that's not true. <laughs> it is. There is a car called the Topo BJ, and it's a very tall Daihatsu. I can't quite remember. But it's a K car, super yeah. narrow, fascinating. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, they love cars in Japan. They love customising cars, and young people drive great cars in Japan. You know, it's expensive for them. Yeah. I mean, are you preaching to the converted? I bought and owned and currently still own uh, a, a Japanese domestic car I've had two in the past and I, I, they're fascinating and it's that kind of it's familiar but not quite familiar that's appealing well it's like that's about Japan in general it's sort of it's almost like an alternate universe where everything's a little bit off kilter and slightly more futuristic but uh, yeah it's a fabulous place and uh, yeah the cars are Amazing. I went to this thing called MegaWeb, which is Toyota's showroom out by the docks in uh, Tokyo. And um, it's supposed to be the biggest car showroom in the world. Ooh. But it's not really a car showroom because no one ever tries to sell you a car. It's just sort of every car they make arranged on two floors. And the number of cars they make and sell in Japan is nuts. Everything, so there's like the, every given sort of size and shape of car, they'll give you three alternatives for mm -hmm. it. It's really nuts. And it's like sort of about six mid-sized saloons and then you walk around a corner and there they've got an Avensis which weirdly is made in the UK and shipped out there. No! And With a Welsh engine, I wonder. Well, I'd guess oh, so, yeah. Really? I'm presuming it must be UK made because it, it, all it said on it was made in Europe. Now, they, right. only, they only make them in the UK, don't they? Yeah, so, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, so I buy the, a car from Derbyshire and yeah, North Wales. It's just, yeah, it's, it's in itself is quite strange. But yeah. Then, um, there's, there's a load of these sort of big saloons. One of my favourites uh, was the uh, something called the Mark X or Mark 10, yeah. which was a replacement for this sort of very long-lived saloon called the Mark II. So they kind of skipped <laughs> a load of generations, went straight to Mark 10. With Jaguar good reason. Line, however. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, um, it is... Probably something in there, so. Yeah, I I think it's based on the Lexus GS uh, chassis. Yep. So it's big rear-wheel drive, uh, V6 in the front, and it's just a really, really handsome car. Look it up on the internet, Toyota Mark X. It's... Um, 
got a really, really good interior. And if you're going to be super geeky about it, the most astonishingly good door fits. Honestly, you just tap the door and it goes boom, home and shuts. It's just, just fabulous, fabulous attention to detail in it. Really good. The only thing I didn't like is that I have this kind of OCD where I really don't like my girlfriend when we're in the car together using the air conditioning and stereo controls because it just throws my world out of kilter. If you're driving, help me. I'm not. It's your responsibility. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's I am the pilot. Yeah, exactly. I, I harbour that rule. I'm yeah, sorry. Hands off the well. music. Don't. Unfortunately, get the music sorted first. But, yeah. but that is absolutely right. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah. just don't, don't stop fiddling. Yeah. No. No. Why have you turned it off auto? It was doing itself. I hate the climate control. Stop fiddling with it. The Mark X uh, in the top model has, for some reason, uh, the audio controls are on the passenger door. Ah. And the main audio system, which has got this brilliant sort of stainless steel frontage on it, but then is hidden by behind this flap. So you can close the flap and then it's up to the passenger to sort of fiddle with it. We, I was like, we, we got in it and my girlfriend went, uh, <laughs> I like this car. <laughs> well, I don't. Uh, uh, uh. Qantas never crashed. Qantas, Qantas, Qantas. Like Raymar. I, I can't stand people fiddling with the controls when I'm driving. I'm the same. Exactly the same, Richard. I think a lot of us are. That's it's control, exactly. control frequent. Mm. Um, I've driven in Japan. It's a bit tricky. I drove a, the cappuccino I bought when I was in Japan. I drove yeah. it between Osaka and Kobe. It's a bit tricky. I mean, after a while, you can recognise the car. Characters. A lot of stuff is written in English as well, I suppose. But, um, you, you know, there's that, there's that sense of, my God, it's really alien! You know, yeah. it's about as close as you're going to get to an alien culture. Japanese, if you can't read, was it Kenji, they call it? I don't know, the mm. simplified form. And it's... It, it, you're kind of reliant on people translating for you in every way. And yet, there's reassurance in the cars of Japan where it's, it's familiar. Oh, I know this. And it's a part of Japan that we really understand and appreciate well here in Europe, you know, and Britain was one of the first places to really help Japan launch itself as a car manufacturer in the world. You know, we love Japanese cars. We, we, we import Japanese cars over here, you know, strange oddities. So to be dropped in that land where you're surrounded mm. by all these variations, it's top fun if you're a car geek yeah. and you've never considered Japanese cars. I can, I can recommend doing what you did, Richard. It's an eye-opener, isn't it? I would recommend going to Tokyo uh, to anyone. Uh, unless you lived in Tokyo, in which case I'd just recommend you go home, stop <laughs> listening to my travel advice. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic place for cars. Really, really uh, interesting sorts of spotters badge territory. But uh, yeah, so go there, go now. Okay, can I ask you, right? I didn't, you didn't know I was going to ask you this. <clears throat> of all your car experiences in the three parts of the world that you've been America, Australia, and Japan. What was the best car moment? Either you saw, touched, smelled, didn't see, thought about, saw on television, or just enjoyed? The first thing that sprung to mind was while I was at this massive Toyota showroom, um, they had in there my favourite land barge of all time. Because, you know, I, obviously I've got a Rover 75, so I'm a bit keen on the old squidgy-matic yes. cars. You like to sit on your cars, not in them. Uh, no, I like to sink into their buzzy, enveloping <laughs> buzzy, buzzy, buzzy. What am I talking about? Anyway, uh, the Toyota Century. Again, look it up. It's um, only sold in Japan, as far as I know. It is the most old school of old school limos. It looks like it's from the 70s. The interior is extraordinary. The floor mats have flowers embroidered in them. A lotus, I believe. I think it is, mm. yeah. And... Um, it's only sold in Japan. It's been going for years from the 60s, and I think pretty much that the hardware underneath is, is almost unchanged. However, it had a V8 engine, and then when that upstart, the Lexus LS400 or whatever it was sold as as a Toyota in Japan, came along. Excelsior. And um, so what Toyota did, for a car they must sell like four of a year just to sort of 
politicians and, and businessmen who are very, very old school. It's the Bristol of Japan. Yeah, it is. It's very, yeah. it is. Yeah. It has that sense of it, just yeah. time warp, but beautifully crafted time warp. But the most extraordinary thing about it is that to differentiate it from, from mere ordinary Toyotas and Lexus societies is <laughs> they developed a V12 engine for it. Mm. And that's what it now has, this walking great V12, which I can't understand the logic, but that's the thing I like about Toyota and Japanese car makers in general, is that sort of excessive attention to detail. And it's something very telling. Wherever I went around the world, in the US and Australia, they buy a lot of Japanese cars. And then you sort of look at where the Japanese are now, and you look at the detailing and the quality of the average Japanese car, and you sort of think, well, they've kind of earned it. Because when they do it well, they're not the most dynamically exciting cars, but by God, they're nicely made, and they'll never, ever go wrong. So, I know, I drive one. Well, exactly. And, and I think a lot of people would echo that. I've started thinking, I want to drive a car that comes from a country where when you check into a hotel, you discover the curtains are operated by a button next to the bed. That's the future world to live in. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on Speed with uh, Richard Porter. Thank you very much indeed, Richard. That was a real diatribe. I enjoyed every second of it, dude. Thank you. Thank you for reporting the world. So, what have we learned today about cars? Lots of good stuff. Of course. <laughs> That's it. See you next time. Say bye. 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 Enhanced podcast was made by Wizbang. Oh yes it was, baby. (laughs) 